Every day, millions of truckers grab their keys, hop into their semis, start their engines, and head out onto the open road to pick up and deliver billions of products to millions of stores. The trucking industry is an integral part of what fuels America's economy, and businesses around the country rely on these trucks to pick up and receive orders on time, especially as the need for on-demand products and delivery has risen in conjunction with the rise of online shopping and mobile technology. So why then has the shipping industry been so slow to change and adopt new technologies? Grant Goodell is a former Amazon employee and now the CTO of Convoy. When he learned that 40% of trucks you see on the road are often carrying empty loads because of poor booking processes, he and his partners asked themselves a simple question. How do you disrupt the trucking industry with software that optimizes the user experience and eliminates these inefficiencies? We built probably the smartest pricing engine in the industry to help us understand all of those vagaries, all of those inputs as to what a trucking job should cost so that we can get the best pricing from shippers for a given job and then help carriers get the right price for the work that they're doing. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Grant discusses how Convoy has optimized the booking experience for shippers and drivers with its software and how the new process has helped not just the bottom line, but the environment as a whole. Plus, Grant explains why the trucking industry has been slow to adopt new technology, and he shares some tips for early-stage startups on how to extend your runway. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere, with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the founder and CTO of Convoy, Grant Goodale. Grant, welcome to the show. Thanks, Albert. Looking forward to it. All right, let's dive right into it. Exactly what is Convoy? I see you got a giant truck behind you. Tell me what Convoy is all about. Yeah, absolutely. At our core... Convoy is really about reducing waste in trucking. Uh, when we started the company, we knew we wanted to do something that would help sort of address the enormous waste in transportation in general. It turns out if you look at the trucks on the road at any given moment, they're usually about 40% of them that are actually just running empty to and from because of the time required to get between jobs. And we identified that as a real opportunity for us to apply some technology that had really just gotten into truckers' hands in order to make the whole network more efficient. And that's your smartphone. So when we started Tronvoy back in 2015, truckers had just gotten smartphones. Really about 2013 was when smartphones became sort of the free phone with data plan. And so we discovered this large base of truckers had sort of uh, Galaxy S3 class smartphones in their hand in 2015, which meant we had this great mobile sensor platform and app platform to build a, the largest network of digitally connected trucks in the country on. And we can use the location data, we can use the, the information that truckers are, pro are providing us through that sensor platform to stitch together jobs in a more efficient way, reducing the empty miles between each job really cutting into that 40% of, of empty miles and, you know, pick your sort of favorite sustainability metric, less trucks on the road driving empty hits it pretty well. I think we calculated that every percent there uh, equates to about 380 million gallons of diesel. So if we can cut 1% of empty miles for trucks every year, that's 380 million gallons of diesel not burned. 
that's an insane number. And the 40% you, you mentioned before of the trucks you see on the road, 40% you say it were prior to convoy were empty. Curious, how did you know the problem even existed? So we spent about two months before we started convoy, just getting to know the industry and doing original research. We didn't set out with a goal of being the, the connective platform that reduced those empty miles. We set out to understand how logistics and transportation worked. Both my co-founder, Dan, and I came from Amazon. And it's even though we weren't in the logistics side of the house, it's not hard to look at things like two-day prime and the reshaping of American consumer expectations and know that logistics is a key part of delivering on that promise and a really difficult one at that. And so we started looking at why it was so difficult for other companies to deliver on that same customer promise, which led us down this path of how, how does trucking work? How do goods get from distribution centers to you know, customers? And that's where we started digging into the stats from the, the large trucking organizations in the US, which is what produced that number. So let's talk about the actual industry, because I want to help frame up how this problem exists and how software could actually even begin to start solving it. So I'll tell you from my perspective, of course, you'll fill in the gaps with your expertise and we'll go from there. But from what I understand is it's not so trucking is, of course, there's companies like, let's say, Walmart and McDonald's that they have their own fleets. But then there's a whole network of independent truckers who pick up freights or loads. They go to these things called freight boards or load boards, literally looking for freights and loads to pick up that need to be moved from point A to point B. They can check these out, choose their destinations. These freight and load boards, by the way, are like as low tech as I've ever seen. They look like, uh, you know, the guy, you know, they couldn't even hack it as a UI designer of Craigslist or something. I don't know. Like they, they look they look antiquated. They, I don't know what font they're in, but it's not from this uh, century. Uh, <laughs> so they go through these freight boards. The data is provided in like this ultra pixelated spreadsheet type thing where people can pick up and see like, oh, freight B3332 in Chattanooga, Tennessee needs pick up tomorrow. I can move it from here to here. And they literally have to like plan their own route if they can plan their own route. And if they cannot win the bid, then I guess they come home empty handed. They literally drive freight from A to B. But when they return B to A, they have no freight. So they're driving an empty truck back home. That's the way I understand this world. You, you're nodding your head, but am I correct that this is how this world works? Uh, you are largely correct. Uh, there are nuances, but you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, so fun fact, those load boards that you referred to got their start as green screen applications running on leased lines and truck stops, which is, I mean, they, they go back decades at this point. So there's a long history of where do I go? Even when I don't have a desktop computer, where do I go to get my next job? Right. And so load boards were the first evolution for that. And they really were a Craigslist, right? It was anybody can throw a job up there. You're not going to settle the job on the, the board. You're going to call whoever's there. Uh, and so there's a whole negotiation process that still has to happen by the time you uh, make that phone call, or you see that job on the board. And maybe it's gone because it was posted a week ago and maybe it's not. And you have to figure that piece out, too. And so if I'm a, a small trucking company, and most of the trucking companies in the US are six trucks or less, so this is the, the bulk of the, the industry that we're talking about, you're talking about a small trucking company that has no sales team, no marketing department, there's no website they have either. So they don't have a way to market their services other than these, these load boards or these brokers that they work with. And so really what these boards are and what the brokers that are behind these boards are, are kind of an outsourced sales and marketing engine for those small carriers but they're not a very efficient one to your point. And so if I'm that small trucker, uh, I have the added complexity of, 
I have to be at the facility at a particular time in order to receive the goods. I have to be at the drop-off facility at a certain time in order to drop off the goods. I need to get paid. All of these things add complexity to just the, uh, the, the day-to-day of being a truck driver, even beyond the, what job do I want to do next? Um, one truck driver we talked to really early on pointed out uh, he was doing produce runs from Washington State to Florida. Right. And if you think about the restrictions that the federal government puts on the number of hours a truck driver can drive per day, that's about a four day trip. And this truck driver said that he had a 15 minute window to drop off in in Florida. So you have to drive four hours, four days, staying legal the whole way, speed limit, uh, number of hours on the road. And you have to hit a 15 minute window. You are one traffic jam away from missing that window. And so what was surprising about this was you think about a truck driver kind of sitting around on the weekend, planning out their week, and I'm going to book my freight from Washington to Florida here, and then from Florida to New York here, when the reality is most truck drivers won't book their next job until they're getting unloaded at the facility from their last job. Because being on time is such a key part of your performance as a small truck driver that you don't want to risk it by booking a job too early and then having a delay at that end facility or anywhere in between causing a problem that means you miss that next pickup. So there's literally no load pathway optimization at this time. And to add further complexity for if our listeners didn't catch what you mentioned, these antiquated load systems, when you were first investigating whether or not you could solve this problem, were you dependent or hopeful that there were APIs you could tap into? Meaning these information systems weren't exactly highly, let's say they, they didn't really talk to other systems. They're not like modern day infrastructure or software applications that are designed to communicate with other applications. Like these things were designed in isolation for themselves, for the users who posted boards and for the, the drivers and trucking companies that subscribe to them. For our audience that doesn't know, the drivers actually have to pay money to even see the board. So like to even, it doesn't guarantee a job. It just, do you want to look at jobs? It costs you money, which is, you know, unlike most uh, boards we have, if I go to a, a job board, like a modern job board, right? It's free to look. It costs money to post. That's not how these truck boards work. They actually take money from the trucker. Yep. That, that's exactly right. And the industry has come a long way in the last few years. Uh, both of the major load boards have introduced APIs and are starting to think about how they can take this big data set that they have and this, this sort of marketplace that they've built and, and federate it out across uh, more players or have more interfaces into it. But you're right, it's a very, very recent development. And frankly, the, the transportation industry in general still primarily runs off of EDI, which is a precursor to APIs that dates back to the 70s and is more about like transmitting business documents in digital form back when things like frame relay were a thing and, and bytes mattered. So it's a, it's a very, very uh, sort of rooted in history kind of industry. Um, and APIs have really been slow to be adopted across the entirety of transportation, not just in the sort of load board world. <laughs> so now let's walk our listeners through, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. So now you've identified the opportunity. You've now identified 40% of trucks on the road are empty. You have a higher goal to improve the world by saying, hey, if they're driving, they should be moving product. It'll reduce the total amount of diesel fuel, as you said, pollutants. It's going to do all these kinds of things. I've identified systems. The systems don't necessarily not easily to work with. And I've also identified that now drivers themselves have location-based tools in their hands. Like you said, the, smart, the, the smartphone. So how do you go about saying, okay, this is how we're going to do it? So we started out by just trying to remove that friction from the 
matching piece, right? Like how do we find the best truck, the best driver for a job, given what we know about it, right? And that's probably 80% location and location preference. We, you never wanna offer a job that goes from LA to Phoenix to a driver that's all the way over in New York and, and picks up in 12 hours, right? So very, very basic piece of how much should the job pay to a driver? How can we automate the price of the job such that there's no back and forth on the phone, but you see a price in the app, you can choose to accept it. You can respond with a bid that says like, I would take it for this much more and then sort of improves the settlement time for those, those transactions as, as much as possible so that shippers get a truck for their job as quickly as possible and Convoy can sort of find the market clearing price for a freight job um, as quickly as possible. That's one other fun fact uh, some of your listeners may or may not be aware of is there is no market clearing price published somewhere for the cost of a trucking job from point A to point B. It's whatever the market will bear at any given point in time. And that price is influenced by the preferences of the trucking company that you're talking to, the locations of their trucks currently, the season cost of trucking goes up dramatically in produce bearing areas as trucks migrate to that work. And then at the expense of every other shipper who needs to move goods, all of these things factor in, take extreme events like weather, all of them factor into the cost of a job. And so part of what we built was the, probably the smartest pricing engine in the industry to help us understand all of those vagaries, all of those inputs as to what a trucking job should cost so that we can get the best pricing from shippers for a given job and then help carriers get the right price for the work that they're doing. And we automate all of that such that we can now settle uh, 100%, match 100% of those jobs to a carrier without human intervention. So the system takes care of all of that work. So you're able to recommend the price of the job mm -hmm. based on all the variables at hand. Exactly. And we take feedback from truckers as well so they can tell us when we're wrong and we feed that right back into the algorithm so that we can get smarter with every job. That's insanity because when I think of like a Uber surge pricing, I feel like there's way I mean there's way less variables because it's a short it's a short distance. You can kind of understand the load capacity, you can understand its fragility. It's always the same, right? Trucking is completely different where I mean, because you guys have, you also have to account for, um, I'm assuming you deal with this. Uh, what's the term? I think it's LTL less than load, meaning like you're picking up like a pallet, but it's not enough to fill the whole vehicle. Do you support that as well? We typically only do uh, what we'll call full truckload. So there may be less than a full truckload's worth of goods on the truck, but uh, we don't do the sort of hub and spoke, uh, go out and make pickups during the day, bring it back to a warehouse, break it down, put it on the right truck and ship it overnight. Okay. Uh, that's a different seg uh, segment of the industry and a smaller segment. So we focus on the, the full truckload piece. Gotcha. But still, you're, you're calculating an unbelievable amount of variables. As you mentioned, you're talking about, you said Washington State down to Florida State. I mean, that's literally the longest distance you can go through the continent. Well, I guess if you minus Alaska, right? The continental United States to move a product in four days with a 15 minute delivery window. So there's obviously tons of data points. There's tons of pieces of information. There's also, as you mentioned before, the industry's moving towards it, but at the same time, it didn't have that much. Uh, it wasn't as compatible. Let's say it wasn't as compatible with what you in, were trying to develop in 2015 as it is today, and it probably still isn't where you want it to be, right? <laughs> That's fair assessment. So how did you go about on a, on a developer's level, begin solving this problem? Where, where did you start to integrate? How did you start focused? Did you do it re, a regional attack? Give me an idea, give our listeners a sense of like how you were going to develop, a, how you would implement the solution that you thought of in your head. So we started out by solving for how quickly can we learn? Um, we started Convoy with the idea that early stage startups are really a learning engine. How rapidly can you iterate? How many you know, turns of the wheel can you get per unit time so that you can learn whether you have product market fit or not? 
and whether you need to make material adjustments to your direction or your product. So we started out in the Seattle, greater Seattle area doing uh, box trucks or a 26 foot or less jobs because we knew we could get drivers to do them multiple of them per day. Therefore, we got to see more transactions end to end through the platform rather than booking jobs that would take four days to complete where we didn't learn a whole lot through the intervening sort of three days because it's just a truck on the road making the long trek. And so we built the entire system end to end for that one narrow use case. So we built the app that truck drivers use to receive offers of work and select the ones that they want and book them. We built the pricing and matching engine that lives in the, in the middle and matches the supply to demand. We built a, a web interface for small, at the time, small shippers to book their freight, kind of a kayak or an Expedia for, uh, for freight. And then we stitched the whole thing together and started doing shipments for these sort of more local shippers. So one of the things about developing software applications is typically your first wave of users, let's say they have high threshold for adopting technology. You know, when, when a consumer application comes out, typically you have like, if something happens on product hunt, you know what I mean? Like people that are voracious on technology will download it. They'll give it a try. They'll report back bugs. They really help you along the lines of the development. But in the case of trucking, it's a little bit different because your users, I mean, this, there's like, like a lot of money and time on the line for them to use your application. I think they'll use it, but I would also assume that their appetite for errors is low like real low. Like if you send them somewhere and there's no load to pick up, Convoy might not get another chance. What did you experience? And then how did you go about mitigating those, let's say, negative experiences, right? Because I feel like this is a population that really doesn't have a high tolerance for trying out software. Like they're not like, oh, I can't wait to try software. They're they're more like, hey, I want to pick up a load. I want to carry it from A to B and I want to get paid. I don't know that we encountered anybody in our first year who was excited to try software. I think that's a, yeah. a fair characterization <laughs> of, of trucking in general, which is not to say those folks didn't want something to help solve the problems that they had, just that they weren't sort of in it for technology's sake. They were in it because I have a problem. I'm not seeing a solution in the landscape today. You say you have something. I'm willing to try that. So it's an interesting dichotomy because on the one hand, you have a group that you're right. Technology hasn't really been a material part of their their toolkit for solving problems until very recently. Um, But on the other hand, because the, the long tail of carriers is so long, most transportation professionals on the shipper side have actually built sort of an experimentation framework for trying new trucking companies. They give them some small amount of work. They test them out. And if they work out great, then you give them more. It turns out one of our, our early customers, they gave us some of the worst, ugliest work you could possibly imagine to prove <laughs> ourselves out. Really tough stuff. But after we proved ourselves for several weeks, they called us in and they're like, look, we're going to give you more work. Oh, and by the way, we're actually going to pay you more per load for it. This blew our minds because this is not typically how like large companies deal with startups. It's, if I'm giving you more, I'm expecting more in return. It was actually quite the opposite. <laughs> So we benefited from that experimentation framework because we were able to go to these shippers and say, hey, look, we're willing to prove ourselves. We know we're from outside the industry. We never pretended to be old hands at trucking, but we knew enough to tell these customers that we think the data that we have and the technology we have can make a material improvement in the efficiency of your transportation. And we know enough about what that inefficiency looks like for you to give us a shot. You give this other trucking company a shot and they have no technology whatsoever. So what do you have to lose? Makes total sense. What was, I got to ask, what was that first load that it was like, it was, an, it was a gross job. I got, you got it. You got it. I mean, uh, I, not to go too deep into it, but we'll call it fertilizer. And uh, okay. that Boom. was, that was it. 
Truckers, it turns out, do not like moving things that they have to wash their truck out afterwards to get rid of the smell. So you had your first shipper. Like you said, they experiment with different truckers because they're always looking for the best way to move products as well. You solved their problem. Did words start getting out? Did customers want to tell your story or were they kind of like, this is kind of like my little private secret sauce here. I don't really want to share it with anybody. It, it was a mix. Uh, we were fortunate that right around the time we raised Series A, uh, we had an article in the New York Times that talked about who we were. And our very first enterprise customer was uh, Unilever. And they came to us because of that New York Times article. That's awesome. And it, their, their innovation group came to us and they said, look, we recognize that large enterprises kill startups, but we think there's something here and we want to work with you on your terms. We're doing a pilot of a couple of other companies that are doing similar things as you in this space. We want you in it. And so we, we went in, we won that pilot, and they've been a fantastic partner ever since. So we were, uh, we were fortunate there. Let's dive into that little piece you just mentioned. You, there was other companies in this logistics transportation thing. Did you know that going into it or did you feel like you were one of the one of few or did you know that you were one of many that were trying to solve this problem? We knew there were a few out there. There were not many. Um, in particular, the the sort of matching piece and the the digital brokerage or digital freight matching, it's gone through a couple of naming iterations. What we call the digital freight network um, was not something that was sort of widely adopted by startups. There weren't a ton of companies that were going after that particular niche of it. There were a few at the time, uh, a company named Cargomatic, a company named Transfix, uh, that were sort of going after that particular uh, piece of the market. Uh, but the list was pretty short. Gotcha. And so when you started going into this head-to-head -head pilot, I mean, they were very upfront with you and said, we're going to test you against others. Did it change the way you guys approached the, the platform? Did you knew? You, I mean, I'm sure, like you said, enterprise companies typically. So I'll, I'll just tell from my experience, we were a social media management software. And when we landed the largest, you know, soda company, color red headquartered in Atlanta, you know, you can figure it out. <laughs> One of the biggest things that are peers, people in software told us was like the problem with taking on a customer like that is they can pull you in these directions that don't necessarily apply to, let's say, the mass market. Like literally, you're basically building custom applications for them at that point. And so it sounds like you were cognizant of this and aware of this. So how did that experience, I mean, obviously here we are today, but how did that experiment with Unilever go? And what was it like developing? Because I'm sure they introduced problems to you that you had not thought of. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Just to give you a sense of how early in our history we were when they came calling, our web interface would only let you pay for a, a shipment with a credit card. Okay. <laughs> like we hadn't implemented any others. I mean, imagine asking a Unilever or a big red soda company to pay for anything with a credit card. <laughs> yeah, that's how early we were. So uh, we, we had to think hard about what pieces we wanted to build now and what pieces we wanted to build later. We knew companies like Unilever were going to be in our long-term customer roadmap. We knew we were going to learn a ton by being able to be a, a partner of theirs and really sort of work through what the requirements were likely to be. We just had to make sure that they, we set their expectations appropriately so they knew that in the pilot, in the early engagement, this was really about us learning together and understanding how the technology we were building brought them benefit and how the, the rest of the market could benefit from that as well. They knew they were never going to be our only customer, and they were, they were really good partners in that sense. What were some of the big things they wanted you to develop beyond the invoicing and payment system that you were, let's say, taken aback by or surprised by? Uh, so EDI, we talked about earlier, was a big yep. one, right? Most of their internal systems were, their whole ERP system used ER, uh, EDI to communicate with external parties. And so there was an ask for that. You know, there, there was an immediate pressure for, uh, hey, this seems to be working really well here. How about you take it to the entire international sort of community? 
to which we said that might be a little early. We should, we should probably, you know, focus. Trucking is an $800 billion a year market in the U.S. alone. We should, we should focus here first. Yeah. And then, you know, there were a lot of kinds of trucking that companies like Unilever do. And every different kind of trucking you take on, whether it's a flatbed versus a, a dry van or a refrigerated job versus ambient temperature, it fragments your supply base, right? Like suddenly I can only do some jobs with some trucks. And so we wanted to make sure that we weren't taking on too many different flavors on the supply side of the marketplace all at once, right? If you think about a, a ride sharing company or a, a meal delivery company, right? Like my trunk is basically suitable for every kind of food I might need to deliver. My, yep. my seats fit most people, like the supply fragmentation isn't there. We knew we wanted to be as cautious about supply fragmentation as we could be while still making progress with these big customers. So as you're developing this application or this service, you probably had, I'm assuming, or maybe I don't, did you have a hypothesis for how many variables you would evaluate? We knew that we had way more unknown unknowns than we had known unknowns. <laughs> so our, our original <laughs> pricing model took, for example, I think six or seven different variables into account. Uh, our current pricing model takes hundreds, and most of them are probably not human understandable at this point. It's a sort of trained machine learning model, not a not a like heuristic like it used to be. So, <laughs> so let's dive into that because you know you're mentioning hundreds of variables, but at the same time, you also what about on the user side, right? So if I'm a shipper, I'm still I'm only entering just a few data points. I'm not entering hundreds of data points. Right. Uh, you're uh, you're extrapolating that, and then I'd also like you to kind of. So talk about how you're extrapolating these data points. You've built, it sounds like a, an ML model that, that has taken into account all these things. And then talk about building a simple application to the actual trucker, right? Who is looking for a load to pick up, wants to price bid, win it, get paid for it. I'm assuming they want this very simple thing. As we, we already uncovered, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, they might be looking for it on the road or uh, let's say they're not, but like they, let's say they've dropped off the load, right? They're going to look for it. Like you said, right then and there. So it's probably, they want a very simple application. They're not trying to, you know, enter in a hundred variables to find the perfect thing. Right. In general, what carriers or what trucking companies are going to want to do is pre-specify as much of it as possible, right? Like the likelihood of my suddenly having a refrigerated trailer as opposed to a dry van trailer halfway through a job is almost zero. Right. So all I really need to do is set ahead of time the variables that filter out most of the noise. And then my location and my preferences tend to be the, the high order bits after that. And so if I'm a carrier and I've just completed a job, I know, you know, Convoy knows where I am because we track drivers on the job. And I can say, great, show me things that are picking up within 50 miles of my current location in the next 24 hours. Show me where they're going. Show me what they're carrying, how heavy it is, whether it's, you know, some commodity that I don't like carrying or whether, you know, whatever it might be and show me the price. Those are really sort of the big pieces if you're a carrier. The shippers, on the other hand, have a whole other sort of set of problems they need to solve for because they're, you know, they're, it's a volume game for them. They're trying to figure out how do I input 7,500 loads this week alone? How do I take advantage of my, my you know, company's order to cash system and flow orders from the order system directly through my logistics planning software into orders out to brokers for trucks. And so it's really about like integrating with those systems in as robust a way as possible to make sure we get all the data points we possibly can. And then using our models and our, our expertise to filter those down so the carrier just sees from here to here this much, this commodity, this weight. So thank you for sharing this because uh 
you know, the, the I think the best part about doing a podcast about fleets is you get to learn a whole world that everyone depends on. That's highly it is significantly more complicated than I think most people think about when they going into it. They just think of it as, oh, the truck's moving product from A to B. The other thing that I think about is what did it take for you? Like, I want to dive into your background. You mentioned before working in Amazon, but kind of give our audience a flavor of who you are in regards to your software development shops. What kind of project did you work on? Because it's I looked you up on LinkedIn. You got some pretty cool history. Tell me some of the projects you worked on previously that ultimately built up to this system. Because the system that you have now is, you know, I just want to give an audience a framework of like, hey, man, I've been developing big things the whole time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so both of my degrees are in computer science. Um, I wrote my first program when I was five for a TRS-80 Model 3. My parents bought me an Apple IIe soon after, and it's pretty much been off of the races since then. I've worked on built-in test and calibration software for an unnamed fighter aircraft. <laughs> I've worked on smart card firmware and file systems back when smart cards were a thing. I've built firewall software for high-value bank web transactions, web services transactions. If there's a theme here, it's I've basically chased working on really interesting technology with great people for most of my career. And so I, most of my work has been centered around kind of service-oriented architectures and back-end technology. This is, uh, I have a few consumer experiences. I ran a game studio for three years, but again, most of the technology in our games was back-end, so it's uh, uh, still pretty, continu- pretty continuous. And uh, I think the, the road that led here was the recognition that the kinds of data that we could collect by looking at all of the trucking jobs throwing, flowing through a system at scale across multiple shippers, across multiple carriers, was going to produce an inordinate amount of insight and value. And that you're talking about, you know, sort of high value transactions from both the shipper and the carrier side, but you're not talking about sort of web scale, if you'll forgive the term, uh, levels of transactions. I don't have to think about like petabyte scale data stores or, right. you know, ad, ad network level network traffic, but I can still deliver an amazing amount of customer impact and value, which is a lot of fun. The average truckload right now of freight, how much does it cost? What's the total val- dollar value of product moving from A to B? What's the average right now? Oh, wow. Yeah. So the total dollar value of goods moving from point A to point B in the US is about 13 trillion a year. That's just the value <laughs> of the goods being trucked. So big number. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think the, the average cost of a trucking job in the United States probably sits somewhere in the 800 to $1,200 range, I'm guessing. Long haul jobs, obviously substantially higher. Trucks generally bid out by the, by the mile, $2, $3 a mile, depending um, and then local jobs typically bid by uh, amount of time per day. So it's a little hard to do an apples to apples comparison, but you're probably somewhere in the 800 to $1,200 range. And it never stops. And it never stops. No, there's a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it on uh, Netflix called uh, Big Rig. Um, and it's specifically about trucking in the United States and supply chain. And it opens with a truck driver in a, uh, tr- in a diner, basically saying like 72 hours is the magic number because grocery stores in general turn stock every 72 hours, which means everything in that grocery store has been replaced by an exact copy. It's unreal. Which means if trucks stop rolling for three days, your grocery store starts running out of food, your gas station starts running out of gas. We are a just-in-time economy and trucks are the backbone of it. There you go. For anyone who's not aware of what just-in-time economy means is basically a grocery store literally only has enough storage to hold food to basically fill it. It doesn't even carry three days of food. You said it turns out the whole thing in three days, but the reality is Everything in the back of house probably goes to front of house that same day because they receive truckloads of produce, merchandise, whatever, every day. 
nonstop. Exactly right. Nothing is stored. Everything that comes in goes onto a shelf. It goes out the door through a purchase. It gets refilled by another trucker. Yep. And I, like, I, I could go on with trucking stats. I'm fun at parties, but the, the, <laughs> the, the, the numbers are staggering. Like you pick any slice of this thing and suddenly you're talking about billions and billions of dollars and you know, millions or tens of millions of truckloads a year for even basic commodities like bottled water. Right. The number of trucks it takes in the United States to move every single container from every single port off of the port and someplace else is the same number of trucks it takes to move every bottle of bottled water per day. Just bottled water. <laughs> so so and this is where it gets mind boggling. And I want to ask you about this, because when part of building a giant software application is getting investors, of course, to buy in that you, you can do this. And one of the things they always ask about is where a lot of investors will ask about is total addressable market. But is this total addressable market even known? Because it's, I mean, it's obviously huge because you have United States, like you mentioned, then you can go international, but shouldn't your app, your, this, if this software works, doesn't it theoretically work in any form of transportation, trains, planes, ships? Yep. Like it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's measuring products at A, products to B, people want to move A to B, who's in between, who can move it? That is the backbone of the system we built. Yes. And trucks are the starting point for the United States because they're so prevalent. They're so, if you think about the spend on transportation in the US, it's about a trillion a year spend on all transportation. And it's about 800 billion a year on trucks alone. So it's about 80, 82% of total spend. Um, but yes, trucks, uh, steamship, rail, pipeline might be a stretch, but maybe not. Who knows? Um, and so if you think about kind of the, the transportation modes in aggregate, and even more so, if you think about the new modes of transportation that may be coming online here soon with the advent of autonomy and multiple modes, then things start to get really interesting because you start getting to a place where you're freed up from some of the constraints that old school tra transportation networks might have laid on you. And you can really start to reimagine how freight flows through the country. When you think of where the future of Convoy will go, like you can just kind of mention it, personal transportation and therefore business transportation will continue to change. There's going to be different methods, different capacities, different tools. Let's just assume the United States can get with it and get infrastructure going so that we can have high-speed rail. <laughs> but I think something Sounds great. <laughs> but you know, like you said, there's, there's many, many applications and future applications. From your perspective, seeing how things are evolving, where do you where do you see in let's say like the next ten years for the transportation logistics industry? So I think what you're seeing right now is kind of the second wave of technology adoption across the the transportation players in the industry. The first wave was uh, better access to data. That was the Coyote Logistics. That was the the Echo Global Logistics companies who kind of figured out that if we have centralized data and we can give smart people dashboards with, with, with easy access to that data, they can make smarter decisions and we can have a more efficient supply chain as a result. Um, and that played out really from sort of 2012 to 2015. The second wave is really about how do we take these technology tools and apply them to the problems themselves, not just to the efficiency of the people solving the problems, so that we can solve those problems in novel and, and innovative ways and bring even greater levels of efficiency to the industry. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the clever tricks that somebody figured out quite a while ago in trucking was something they called drop and hook. And drop and hook is where I, as the truck driver, just bring the power unit, just, no trailer, just the, just the cab itself yep. to a job. And I pick up a trailer that's already loaded and then I take that to the destination. It's not my trailer necessarily. It's, it could be somebody else's. And the reason that helps is a lot of the delays involved in trucking 
tend to be around the loading and unloading process. It's a lot of goods, it's very heavy. The arrival time of the truck matters if they're the ones bringing the trailer. And so somebody figured out, to borrow from computer science terms, that if I turn the, the warehouse into an asynchronous interface and I decouple the arrival and departure of the truck from the loading and the unloading of the trailer, I can take something that might be a multi-hour process for a truck driver and turn it into a simple 30-minute check-in, grab the trailer, make sure the numbers match, and then off I go. So one of the things that's held back adoption of this is typically the trailers belong to the trucking company doing the work, which means you have to have enough trailers to be able to leave one for several days. Mm. That rules out all these small carriers that just don't have trailers, at least not enough trailers to make this work. So we have a product, Convoy Go, that is effectively a universal trailer pool, which means this massive carrier base can use our trailers to service a bunch of shippers who do drop and hook work and do it much more effectively than if those jobs were done live, which is what we call when the trailer rolls up empty, you load it and you go, which means suddenly that the kind of work that shippers love because it's more efficient and makes their warehouses operate more effectively is now accessible to the large base of carriers that couldn't do it before. So if you think about the efficiency that bringing those kinds of asynchronous interfaces to large scale systems can bring, we're really excited for the next 10 years. We think that's the future. So let me pause you right there, though, for a second, because that's not a software solution. That is a physical good solution. When you figured this out, I'm sure you had to mathematically model this, that it would be cost effective for you to because it sounds like Convoy buys the trailers. Is that right? We lease the trailers, but yes. And there is a ton of software behind this. Yeah. Because if you think about the challenges of uh, drop and hook, the problem is I've now left a trailer someplace Yep. and I may very well not have a job right away to use that trailer to get it back to where it was before, right? I'm not using this trailer just to go A to B, B to A, A to B, B to A. Yep. Now suddenly I have to be able to stitch together jobs from A to B to C to D to E that make effective use of the trailer in either a drop and hook or a live capacity. And so that, that goes back to a system we built a few years ago called batching, where we're able to take jobs of different lengths and starting at different times and stitch them together into a, a small portfolio of work for a single carrier so that they can book a week's worth of work in a single click in our app, and they can have the minimal amount of downtime or, or deadhead miles between the drop off from one job and the pickup of the next. Those two together, that trailer pool and that, that batching concept, that's where those efficiencies really start to come in. And it's not the sort of thing you can reason about in your head. Yeah, You need to be able to have a system that can actually think about trailer positions six days ahead and, and make, make those plans. Yeah. You got to know, like you said, what type of trailer it is, because you already mentioned before, some have to be an ambient, some have to be room, some have to be refrigerated. All right. What type of trailer it is, where it is, how long it's there. Because if I drop it off of a site, you also need to know how much loads come out of that site so that someone, it would be full again, so it would get picked up again. So you had to have done all this mathematical modeling. I'm curious because you have the cost of trailer, you have the cost to insure it. What did you figure out was a reasonable, let's say, return on, you know, return on capital? Like you basically, if, you, if, if, if a trailer costs a hundred grand, when do you make your money back on this trailer, leaving it available for everybody to pick up? So... Again, we do not purchase the trailers, we, we lease them. So the, 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 the equation's a little different. That's right, the lease, sorry. <laughs> Without getting too deep into the secret sauce, um, we have a number of turns in our head that, that gets that trailer from sort of negative cost to positive cost and the system's built around achieving that. It's not as many as you might expect. Makes total sense. Trailers are not as expensive as you might expect and they tend to be relatively long-lived assets, so. I would assume that they're short-lived assets because the damage they take from 
loading and stuff. I don't know. You always see those photos of people that drove a uh, trailer under a uh, bridge that say they can't clear. <laughs> we, we have not yet lost a trailer to the can opener bridge in Pennsylvania that everybody sees the photos of, but I'm sure it'll happen someday. It'll be on your, well, if it's on convoy, it's probably going to be on your uh, routing map. It's going to say, hey, don't drive this route. <laughs> that is, uh, that. yes. I think we generally try to keep drivers away from all of the risky routes. It's a, That's a fun aspect of the business. Google Maps doesn't have truck routes information, right? There's no, they don't provide routing information that's specific for large uh, commercial vehicles. Is that something you guys are doing? Uh, there are other providers out there here. Maps is probably the biggest and well, most well-known that do. And so just one of the considerations we have to have when we're thinking about how we provide the best service to carriers. That's a great point. So one of the things that software companies, enterprise software companies are always pushed to do is expand their products and services to continuously either you know, tackle new challenges or just bring in, let's say, new opportunities, right? There's, it's either solve a problem or introduce an opportunity. What are some of the things that you see on the horizon that, you know, Convoy can potentially play a part in? So we actually have a core value at Convoy of what we call innovate deliberately. We believe in innovation, but we also believe it's hard and expensive <laughs> and you should do it in the places that it matters most for your business. And in every other place, it's okay to find what's best in class in the industry and use it. Um, we probably won't be building our own mapping solution anytime soon. Okay. I think we're pretty comfortable with some of the commercial solutions out there. But I think one area we have seen a lot of opportunity is in the sort of the software that helps make it easier to be a small trucking company, right? Like the, the software that helps you run your business, the, the fleet management piece. And that extends from being able to see the kind of jobs you want, but it also extends into things like factoring. So for your audience who may not be aware, one of the biggest challenges if you're a small carrier is just getting paid the money you're owed. Because in general, you're working through a third party called a broker. Most brokers won't pay the trucking company until they get paid. And so you have net 30, net 60, net 90 for shipper to pay the the broker. And then the broker has to take their time to to pay the carrier. Uh, And so there's an entire multi-billion dollar industry that has grown up around what's called factoring, which is I'm going to sell this factoring company my invoices for 95 cents on the dollar, 93 cents on the dollar in order to get paid now. And then the factoring company will take the float and, and you know, deal with the delay themselves. And so the problem is, of course, if you, if you annualize that interest rate, it's outrageous, right? Like you're paying a massive amount of cash yeah. just to get paid more quickly. And so we recently introduced Convoy Factoring as a way to help carriers get paid more quickly. Convoy's always paid our carriers within two to three days of completing the job, assuming that we have all the paperwork and the data from from GPS is valid, et cetera. But now we're helping carriers, even on non-convoy jobs, get their their money more quickly and for a much more reasonable rate. So we see a big future in a lot of the, the other types of solutions that help carriers run their businesses more effectively, because we need these small companies out there. We need them to be successful and we need to help insulate them from some of the, the volatility that's been happening over the last year or so. So you started a bank. I mean, <laughs> convoy banking, <laughs> not in so many words, we partnered with a bank, but, but uh, I think financial services, doesn't every startup eventually become a financial services company? I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a huge lever to say like, Hey, I can get you cash, cash in hand faster. I mean, that's a huge, huge benefit for, uh, for a independent business operators that use your service. Cause you already mentioned big enterprises typically pay on, like you said, net 90 terms, then uh, another net 30 for my broker to pay me. On 120 days without cash, I got to front jobs all day long. I mean, it becomes a huge exercise in cash flow management, which you then solve. Yep. And uh, it's particularly challenging if you're a small trucking company because you are frequently like your maintenance is no joke. It is expensive. Your gas is no joke. It is expensive. Yeah. 
Insurance is expensive. Everything's expensive. Yeah. You find carriers who are one maintenance job away from being stuck on the side of the road and needing to get a, you know, a, get it fronted the cash for their next job to get the tow truck out to, to bring their, tra- their trailer in for service. Like these are small businesses that typically have like three, four days of operating capital on hand. That's insane. It's going to a cash flow positive sort of non-delayed model for these is huge. Do you see a world where a convoy makes it easier for an independent business operator to just start a trucking company? Like, you know how I can just choose to make money by driving a Lyft or an Uber? Do you see that in the future for convoy? Like to make the systems and processes so efficient that someone might consider like, well, if I get a CDL, I can just do this. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. One of the most fun things about my job is getting to go out and meet the small carriers that make up the majority of the trucks in the country. Let me tell you, there is not a harder working group of people out there. These are folks who by and large are coming from a whole bunch of backgrounds that have nothing to do with what we see on the, you know, sort of West Coast in large cities. You've got first generation immigrants from all over the world. You've got immigrant populations that are are working together to actually build up, build themselves up through starting trucking companies and and working in transportation. And there is a lot of hustle in this group and it's incredibly rewarding to see their stories and watch them build themselves up. We have truck drivers that mortgaged their house to buy their first truck and built their business up to, you know, oh, now three trucks on convoy in the space of a year and a half. Um, it's, it's the American dream and it's amazing to watch. It's awesome to hear that this, this technology does, like you said, it's ambitious in many directions, right? It's helping the environment. It's helping people. It's helping small business operators. It's helping business. It helps everyone. So, oh, that's awesome. Grant, you know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Customer 360 Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. This is where we ask you questions where we can quickly learn about you and our audience can quickly learn about you, you know, maybe a little bit away from Convoy. You ready? All right, let's do it. We did a little homework on you. So if I'm wrong, we'll just scratch the question. But it's <laughs> all right. We believe you're an avid runner. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Okay. What race has been your favorite? What race do you really like? I absolutely love Ragnar trail races. Uh, the Ragnar trail race up here in Seattle is gorgeous and uh, runs around a ski, uh, ski lift area a, little, a few hours south of Seattle. Super fun. 20 plus miles in 24 hours. Several thousand feet of elevation gain. So much fun. Isn't Ragnar a Viking? Uh, I believe it's a Viking or possibly really good marketing. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Was it named after the Viking? Is it is so... <laughs> It just sounds like it's tough. You, you got me. I have no idea where the names come from. Come, name comes from, but the the icon looks like Vikingish. So let's go with it. <laughs> when you go on these races, are you a uh, are you do you listen to music or do you just run? I listen to music. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, this is embarrassing. I have listened to exactly the same soundtrack for running for the last six years. I have one playlist. I listen to it over and over and over again. It's just background noise, and it's perfectly synced to what I want my heart rate to be, and so it just place. When you say it's just background music, do you mean it's not, it's not artists? Like it's just music or is it actually like an artist's album? Uh, it is a collection of music from different artists. Okay. There are, there are lyrics. It's not like one, it's not like free jazz or anything like that. It's yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's basically all right around 120 to 130 beats a minute and very, very consistent, well mixed together, etc. So gotcha. You are the CTO and, co- and co-founder of a huge company, wildly successful company. How many emails do you get a day? I have lost count. I don't even, I, I try not to check. It's, it's in the hundreds, but not thousands. How does anyone get your attention? Not through email. <laughs> email, is, email is probably dead. Um, no, I think in general, show me something amazing that you've done for a customer. 
right? Like that's the thing that will always get my attention. If you show me something that is just head and shoulders above what anybody else has tried to do for your customer, then I'll pay attention. One of the things CTOs always do is, or seem to always do is they seem to always be learning and adapting to new forms of technology coming out. What are some of the things that excite you about the future? So I spend probably, uh, I would say a quarter of my free time every year learning some new programming language. Um, In general, I'm a fan of trying to figure out where the industry is going when it comes to uh, software development and learning new programming languages seems to give me a, a general sense of how the rest of the industry is thinking. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this year I'm, I'm, <laughs> this year I'm again, again, working through rust. I tried to pick it up in 2019, but it was, my time was too limited. Um, and so I will I'll have to pick a language for 2021, but I haven't yet. There you go. Someone out there, you want to get Grant's attention, build an amazing project using rust to solve a trucking problem. Bam. Perfect. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> when you are, when you're not running or do you, when you're not running, you're not working in convoy. Do you have any other hobbies? I have two wonderful children that I try to spend every other moment with. My oldest is a freshman in high school and I've got limited time left before he goes off to college as he keeps reminding me. So uh, I'm trying to get as much out of that as I can. Does your freshman in high school think you're cool? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm, no. What, what's the opposite of cool? Like what's, what's like past uncool? Um, yeah, not even close. Before we go and close, what's your best advice for a first time CTO? You are going to wear so many different hats over the course of your startup's history. Don't get too attached to any one piece of your role and focus on what can have the biggest impact for the company per unit time. It'll change over time. Roll with it and enjoy the ride. It's a very economical approach, to it, like almost utilitarian. Best unit of utility for your time. Absolutely. Grant, I appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing so much information about, I mean... It's an industry everyone depends on. I just don't think anyone understands how complicated it is, except for those that are in it. So thank you for bringing it to light in a really easy to understand way. And I hope you had a good time sharing all the details of what you've been up to. Absolutely. Had a blast. Thanks for having me. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.